Hello, my name is Samuel George London and welcome to Comics for the Apocalypse. On today's episode, I speak to comic slash zine creator and exceedingly insightful chap Gareth Brooks about what comics he would take into the apocalypse. But before we get into it, if you do enjoy the show today, please leave a review for us on iTunes or whichever podcast service you use, as not only will it let me know that you liked it, but I believe that it helps make other people aware of the show as well. Now, without further ado, on with the show. Hello, Gareth Brooks. How's it going? Hello. I'm doing well, thanks. Yeah, um, it's, uh, it's it's been quite a, a, a busy day for me um, mm. of, uh, of my of my usual day job, but uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm happy now that I get to speak to you. Um, oh, excellent. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a nice end to my day. So I really really Good. appreciate you being here. Uh, today, no problem. Gareth. Um, and uh, for, for for anybody that hasn't come across you yet, uh, what do you do in the world of comics? Um, so I'm probably best known for my two graphic novels published by Myriad, uh, The Black Project and The Thousand Coloured Castles. Um, but I do small press comics as well. My latest one's called Threadbare. Um, yeah, look at my website and you'll see. I also sometimes um, organise events as well. I used to be part of the alternative press many years ago and more recently, I've organised the South London Comic and the Zine Fair. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's me. Fantastic. And where, and where can people find out about all this? Uh, so, my website's gbrooks.com, and my Instagram's just Gareth Brooks. Those are probably the best two places. Fantastic. Um, and just to give people kind of a bit of a flavour, um, can you describe A Thousand Coloured Castles for me? Mm, well, it's about um, it's about a woman that lives in the suburbs, an elderly woman that suffers from a rare eye condition, and uh, nothing she sees or, or you see as a reader can really be trusted. And it's kind of uh, it's all done in crayons. I'm, I'm quite well, I'm quite known for using unusual materials, so I use embroidery in my work and in. A thousand colour castles. It was like crayon, but yeah, it's all to, wax crayon, right? Yeah, all wax crayon. Incredible. And I've used I've used pressed flowers and I've even fire. I'm I'm working on a book now that's all uh, made with using a heat tool, like a okay. soldering iron. Yeah. Oh wow, mm. that's cool. So what's the what's the backing for that? What's what's it? Uh, I, I can't say too much. Oh, okay. I'm about go, halfway nice. through it, but it's it's going to be out in about. 18 months probably early 2021 oh wow yeah that sounds exciting i love love the fact that you know you're you're able to use a soldering iron to create a comic (laughs) yeah well it's It's kind of it's it's fun i'm just hoping that the i hope the smoke's not poisoning me that's the only (laughs) yeah fingers crossed yeah make sure you wear a mask (laughs) i do yeah (laughs) yeah please do (laughs) fantastic awesome well i look forward to, to to seeing that but in the meantime everybody go check out gareth's work on his on his website and twitter and whatnot um, those links are in the show notes, so you can click right through there, nice and easy. Um, now, without further ado, um, unfortunately, I've got some bad news for you, um, and that is that there's been a robot uprising in London um, mm. at, uh, at Google HQ. 
um, near Shaftesbury <laughs> Avenue, okay. I, uh, I believe it is. Um, the, the the AI is taken on a on a form of itself and created a robot uprising. So, uh, my my question for you is: What is your action plan for survival? Um, I I don't know if it, I'm that bothered really. It's sort <laughs> of I don't know. I I just don't believe that it would work. Like you know. The post office where I live, they've installed a, a self-service checkout um, and they sacked one of the people that work there. So there's just one uh-huh. lady in there now and she's and, and obviously this uh, self-service checkout broke within a week and it just oh, says no. error message now. Yeah. Um, but then the lady, uh, there's this huge queues out of the door and she's aged about 10 years. She's got her fingers look like red sausages from all the work she has to do but the flesh endures you know yeah and, and the 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 self-service machine just sits there blinking so I'd, i think that it would be very scary at first but as soon as you know they installed a new update the guns would stop working yeah you know um or i don't know there'd just be it guys hanging off them turning them on and off again yeah and and unless they were like unless it was an ai that designed it but i, I think if there was a an artificial intelligence that was truly, you know, great intellect. It would probably, as soon as you turned it on, it would find a way to turn itself off again so that you could never turn it back on or it would fire itself off into space and spend thousands <laughs> of years meditating in a Zen-like way across the galaxy. It wouldn't care about humans. So I'm, I'm like nonplussed. Yeah, I don't really. I, you know, plus I've always been very polite to Siri. Like lots of people... Okay. Um, you know they they kind of get drunk and do silly jokes and ask silly uh, ask Siri silly inappropriate things but I'm, twister, I've always it? been I've been polite so I think they'd let me off nice they, and they, so they never... mm. go Gareth you you're gonna finish well I was just gonna say they never forget these these robots never forget so always no, be polite exactly. to Siri it's, all, it's always Alexa. stored on the cloud yeah <laughs> somewhere isn't it um yeah. so uh, with that politeness mm. in mind uh before before the the google home um skyrockets into space <laughs> yeah. for for an eternal journey of meditation <laughs> um what uh what it does it 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 realizes that you're the most polite person on oh. the planet um and as part of that it wants to find out more about you and it mm. does that through asking you about comics um, okay. and asks you, what's the first comic you remember enjoying? Um, so I grew up at a really good time for comics. You know, I was a kid in the little kid in the 80s. And back then we had a lot of really good, com- you know, we had the Beano, Buster, Dandy, Wizard and Chips. Um, and my favourite out of all of those was Wizard and Chips. Um, the... The, de- like, the dandy was a bit old-fashioned, and the Beano, I don't know, I kind of like the Beano, but I got the feeling if I ever met Dennis the Menace in real life, he'd beat me up, and, you know, yeah. the Bash Street <laughs> kids wouldn't let me in their gang or whatever. So, oh, no. But um, Wizard and Chips was, I don't know, I just really, it's, it was very kind of subversive and left-wing, actually. It was kind of, uh, I really liked, they had um, characters like the Bumpkin Billionaires who are kind of, they're kind of uh, they're bumpkins, but they've they happen to have billions of pounds, and they're always trying to get rid of it because they don't like being rich. But um, 
whenever they try and get rid of it through a series of hilarious events, they end up with more money. Um, and they go, like, oh, no, we've got more money. And another one was Store Wars, which was about a big supermarket. And then next door, there's like a literal greengrocer. And the evil supermarket boss is trying to shut the greengrocers down. But he always sort of comes a cropper in the end. So it was like a very gentle sort of anti-capitalist kids comic, which I kind of like really responded to. Also, they did this brilliant thing where like, I think it was like merged two comics merged together like wither and chips but they did this thing where are you a whiz kid or are you a chipite and if you had a sibling then then you'd uh you'd go oh i'm a whiz kid and i'm not sharing my whizzer and chips with you so it meant they sold twice as many comics because you know (laughs) people the siblings were territorial about what they did with their whizzer and chip um (laughs) so yeah i love that one and then there was probably a gap and then I got into 2000 AD and things like that when I was about 10 or 11 and I sort of I never really got into superhero comics but I did like some Marvel I loved the Punisher and you know I guess I liked X-Men actually Um, and I loved uh, the Aliens comic you know they had this um, comic about alien you know the the film franchise and it was the first Mm. place that Aliens versus Predator ever was Oh, and, um, okay. Yeah, and to this day, I kind of when I see a new Aliens versus Predator, film, I'm like, oh, brilliant! You know, it doesn't matter <laughs> how many crap ones I've seen or how, yeah. how how often I'm reminded that those films are awful. When I see a new one, I'm like, it's going to be just like the comic. Yeah, and there was also um, there was another strip. I don't know what it's called. I'd love someone to tell me, but it was about um, uh, human beings, and they bring back dinosaurs a bit like they do in Jurassic Park but for meat so they farm them okay all these like triceratopses and that and they're just like kind of farming dinosaurs for meat um yeah so there was a lot of really good comics and you could sort of graduate from one to the other you know there was ones when you were really little and then as you got older there was you know new ones that you could get into so it was a really good time to to be into comics in the nineties and, and late eighties. Yeah, definitely. There was there was a clear kind of progression yes. of, of of comics as you kind of go through puberty, basically. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I don't think that exists anymore, really. And I think also they kind of they were very affordable. Like a Marvel comic would right. only be about seventy p, and then all of a sudden it went up to about three quid. Yeah. And I don't know. Yeah, it all changed very quickly in like the mid nineties. Yeah, very much so. Makes it kind of really inaccessible um, to yeah, kind of buy lots of different comics, basically. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, which, yeah, is uh, very frustrating. Yeah. Um, but um, kind of for, for, for you, so um, you say you kind of got into 2008 around about 10 or 11. Mm. Yes. Um, and then uh, kind of in your late teens for instance are you still reading comics um i probably stopped you know there was that kind of the bit where you start spending your money on beer and getting interesting girls and stuff but you know like uh, around art school times when i was in my early 20s i kind of got interested again and then that interest really picked up when I started making comics. I had a, fr- a friend called Steve Tillotson, who I made my first comics with. He had a thing called Banal Pig. Right. Um, 
and we both got into like Daniel Klaus together and those sort of comics, the kind of American um, alternative comic. So my interest definitely picked up in my kind of mid-twenties again. But there was a bit of a gap, for sure. Awesome. Um, and so you're, you're creating comics in... Uh, starting to properly create comics in your mid-twenties. Were there, were there any yeah. attempts before that? or um, Not really. I don't know. I kind of... I, w- I was in art school at a time where you could get chucked out of art school for, for making comics, and oh, that's right. not the case anymore. I, in fact, yeah. I get to teach at art school, and I get to run that comics awesome, and zine and zine courses. Um, so it's changed around completely, but at that time it was like, uh, yeah, it wasn't... Why do you want to do that? Well, exactly. It, it wouldn't have... Uh, yeah, we were supposed to be doing conceptual art or, or mm. more abstract art, and yeah. Wasn't it wasn't something that was looked upon favourably, really? Yeah, it's not it's not great, but it's great to hear that um, it, that's not the case now, and that yeah. even, you know you get to teach mm. in that environment. So mm. and what, to- what, what progress totally has been made? Yeah, huge progress. I mean, um, you know, and also I think like comics are, are quite a young form, and there's a lot left mm. to to be. Um, yeah, I feel like the best comics are still to be written. Actually, you know, there's a yeah. lot of um, lot to be investigated in the form. If you want me to put it in an art school type way, <laughs> um, you know, so it's exciting. It's an exciting time for comics right now. Absolutely. Um, and so uh, Google moves on to the next question right. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> and asks, uh, "What's the funniest or the comic that made you laugh out loud the most?" Well, this. I mean, this was the hardest thing actually Mm. this was the hardest question uh i I kind of like looked at a load of comics i used to find funny and didn't really find them that funny anymore (laughs) so i've kind of i've just picked one that um i've sort of read recently that i've really enjoyed and that is it's called goodnight irene by uh carol lay and i kind of just picked this one up from a, a charity shop i didn't really know much about this artist but it's it's got a really uh, interesting and slightly uncomfortable premise, right, which is that um, <laughs> it's, it's a romance comic, essentially, and it, it does a really good job of kind of looking like a romance comic and mm. using a lot of the language and the tropes of romance comics. But it's, uh, it's about a, a woman that was raised in the Belgian Congo, I think, Right. And she, you know, like the normal kind of Tarzan sort of idea that they get orphaned and, um, you know, raised by this tribe. So she's had a lot of face sculpting. So, you know, like um, lip discs and things like that and nose plugs. Right. And mm-hmm. uh, so she looks quite unusual. Um, there's a, a preface at the start where Carol says she had the idea um, when she she saw a picture of three Ubangi women in Hustler magazine. Right. And I, go- I Googled, you know, women of the Ubangi tribe, and they do... She's not really exaggerating this, you know. No, like, yeah, it's full on. <laughs> it, it, yeah. Um, there's some, like, really biz- bizarre and interesting kind of face sculpting that, you know, that particularly went on in the past. So she... she sort of moves back to the West and she wants to find love, but she has this uh, 
this sort of faith sculpting. So obviously she finds it very difficult and she's just met with horror everywhere she goes by everyone. But at the same time, she finds out that she's a billionaireess. So it's a kind of a really kind of... Um, it's it's kind of like a standard romance comic setup, but with one slight alteration, you being that kind of her her version of beauty is somewhat different from, you know, um, the accepted one, mm. um, and it kind of uh, it kind of shows that you know with romance comics, it's kind of they're quite oppressive in that they're trying to sell you an idea that everything's got to be perfect, and if you change one thing the whole structure of the romance comic falls down, um, which is interesting itself. But, you know, Carol Lay goes further and, you know, just uses it as an excuse to go on this bizarre adventure. You know, really, like, from from that premise, it just kind of, like, goes mad. And she goes, she gets kidnapped and goes to this island and there's a guy with two heads and there's a woman with three breasts. And (laughs) they're kind of like, yeah, it's... I mean, I don't want to spoil it too much, but it just becomes very bizarre very, very quickly. And it's super funny and weird. And I just don't know what to... But also kind of like just so well observed as well. It's a lot like Love and Rockets, actually. It's that it's in that right. kind of style with that kind of tone to it. Um, but it's great. It's, um, you know, it's something that I came across completely... Uh, you know, random. So I kind of like that about it. So it's a really great nice. book. Yeah, what 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 a good find to find in a in a charity shop. Mm. Something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. That's really there's, cool. Yeah, there's a really there's this one um, in Angel. There's this one Oxfam books, right. and it's just got it's always got loads of sort of old comics in there, and like also hmm. really obscure small press comics that people make, you know, a lot of my friends' comics are in there, I'm not, oh, I really? saw your... yeah, and I never quite know whether to say, oh, I saw your book in Oxfam, because it's kind of a double-edged, <laughs> bittersweet thing, isn't it, isn't it? good on the one hand, because it means you're out there, and yeah. on the other hand, they, they took your work to Oxfam, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, discarded so, you know, it, <laughs> it's good that, you could look at it maybe, you know, they, they didn't throw it in the recycling, yeah, exactly. They wanted to, yeah. to to pass it on to somebody else. They did. They yeah. enjoyed it and everything. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of cool. Um, but no, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and it's um, just it's about 130 pages. Yeah, I believe it's, so. It's fairly substantial. It is. Yeah, I think it's like collected. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's just it's really nice to dip into as well. And, you know, yeah, I've read it a few times, and it's still. It's still funny and still fresh. Nice. Excellent. Um, and so uh, our next question uh, that comes mm. up from Google um, is, uh, what is the saddest or most upsetting comic okay. that you've read? Um, do you know, I was going to pick Ethel and Ernest Raymond Briggs, but I couldn't. Someone has nicked my copy. I think like oh, no. I lent, it, <laughs> lent it to someone and they didn't. And I just don't feel like I've read it recently enough to talk about it. But, but that is a very sad comment. Right. So the one I've picked is um, called Yours by Sarah Ferrick. Although I think they've changed their name to Margot Ferrick. So if you want to find them online, right. Google Margot. But um, it's this, I mean, this is a very hard one to describe. It's, it's an abstract comment. So there's almost no um, recognisable things in there except towards the end there's kind of animals right um and it's kind of a letter you get the feeling they're writing to 
someone they've loved and lost or someone that they an unrequited lover and it's very repetitive there's these kind of like um just kind of uh little phrases or bits of sentence that are repeated over and over again and um repetitive just kind of shapes and colors and the, the words and the images are not very carefully de- delineated. So there's things that could be words, but are the kind yeah. of decorative, abstract shapes and colours. And somehow, you know, like it's hard to describe. I'm not. I'm not really like articulate. You have to look at it to really. Yeah, you bet. Your best bet is to I'm, Google it. What I'm saying, <laughs> but um, somehow it kind of gets across this really deep sense that this person is really bereft and really on the edge of a serious kind of um, episode, you know, like, I mean, we've all been there as like a a real kind of um, really on the edge of despair, basically. Sure. Um, And it's, it's just a beautiful book and you can read, you can dip into it. You can read it as many times as, as you want and it still kind of holds a mystery and like how this how this person has managed to like um communicate such feeling without really using without having a real narrative without having a um almost a subject is is really impressive i mean of all these comics it's the most impressive in a way because all the i mean i have I've picked some quite arty experimental comics on my list, sure. but they they all keep something. They've all got a formal structure, or they they've all got like um, a conventional storyline. There's always something that's fairly regular to kind of act as a kind of structure for that for them to experiment with. But this is it's just completely reinvented comics. Basically, there's nothing. There's nothing in it that isn't completely original or completely mm. turning everything on its head, and it's and it's a beautiful object as well. They, they've got this kind of like red edge to it, so yeah. it's just kind of like just sitting there on your coffee table. It's just like this messy kind of testament to one person's um, kind of uh, inner, inner thoughts. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's yeah, like looking at it now. <laughs> The publisher's 2D Cloud, which is a really interesting, really far-out publisher from the yeah. States. That you know, they make some really amazing books. There's, they do this horror anthology called Mirror Mirror, which was almost my scariest comic, but got pipped to the post by something else. So, mm-hmm. if you don't know about 2D Cloud, definitely give them a look because they're, you know, they really are on the edge of what is what a comic can be. I think you know, really good stuff. Yeah, absolutely, um, and yeah, I mean, I was we were chatting before um, before we went uh, live, mm. and uh, just about how um, you know your your choices, um, uh, and yeah, you didn't you didn't take offence to my comment that I I hadn't heard of most of your no, choices <laughs> um, because it's it's not a space that I um, have have looked at so much, but through the process of, of you know hosting comics for the apocalypse um mm. it's kind of really opened up uh my mind and my horizons in terms of what's what's possible 
with mm. comics, what's possible um, in how to tell a story, um, how to use different narratives and things like that. So, um, yeah, this is, this is another one that really kind of push it, pushes the boundaries for sure. And, you know, look at, looking at the pages just on the, um, on the 2D Cloud website, there you know mm. um as, as you said you can really see somebody's internal turmoil Absolutely. in terms of the way that they've written it mm. um and almost like yeah there's there's anguish there or something absolutely and you know like we were talking about that before and i think that you know comics is a tiny little scene but and within it there's kind of these little worlds that you know some people into literary graphic novels and some people are into superhero comics and some people are into humor comics and it's mm-hmm. almost kind of like everyone's in the little box but i think that that shouldn't be the case i'm i'm, I'm certainly interested in all comics and i won't yeah. i wouldn't you know although i'm kind of perhaps at the more uh, literary or artsy end of the comics that i make i'm not going to pretend that uh, i wasn't a a fanboy and a nerdy kid, you know, that was into Dungeons and Dragons and whatnot when I was a kid, you know. Yeah. And um, I've got, you know, the utmost respect for the old, you know, the old mainstream comics and the, you know, the foundation of what we do. And I haven't picked anything on this list. I mean, you'll see as we go on, it is quite an artsy, arty farty <laughs> list. But I haven't picked anything that I don't think anyone couldn't pick up and enjoy. Yeah, you know, it's not an an elitist thing. I think that like even something as difficult and as far out as as yours, mm. um, you know, you just instinctively get it. And I, I think that it's a storytelling medium comic. So if if it's difficult mm-hmm. to understand, it's not really doing its job properly. Yeah, so exactly. I wouldn't, I wouldn't pick anything like that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, because just to give the listeners an, an, an example, one of one of the pages that. Uh, and I found this on the Kickstarter page because mm. apparently it was a Kickstarter. Um, and, you know, on the page, it's kind of in fairly italicized writing and like fairly sporadic. Um, I wish I had kissed you or asked to kiss you. Mm. And, you know, it's clearly that, you know, that's definitely a button that was pressed in the past like there's regret there yeah um yeah and there's definitely kind of and then on the next page it's i wish i had held you um or asked to hold you (laughs) and these these (laughs) phrases are kind of repeated so much that it's literally like being inside someone's head at three o'clock in the morning when they can't sleep because they're losing losing their mind over over someone you know it's yeah it's great yeah it's really interesting well um and uh so uh switching gears a little bit um mm. the next question that comes up um is uh what is the scariest or most horrifying comic okay you've well i was gonna pick um janjay aito uzumaki but someone right. did that already like the yeah. last one that i listened <laughs> to the last comics for the apocalypse someone did that already so yeah. i'm not gonna do that again so i've, I've picked um generous bosom by Connor Stettschulter, which is, um, again, uh, I've, difficult to explain. So it's about, um, it's about this guy who he's sort of driving in the rain in a part of town that he doesn't know. And he, he drives over, we as readers can see that he drives over some nails that someone's per- purposefully put there, but he can't see that. Mm. So he, it, 
he gets a burst tire and he sort of goes to the nearest house and he meets this kind of eccentric man who's very very hospitable and invites him in and he meets his kind of young quite attractive wife and they give him some dry clothes and they give him a couple of drinks and they say oh we insist that you stay here and then she goes to bed and um they the the eccentric man and our protagonist stay up drinking for a bit and then he's the eccentric man starts to try and convince our hero that the best thing to do and the best way that he could return the favor for helping him out is for him to sleep with his wife and (laughs) and it's kind of creepy and uncomfortable um and he I don't want to give too much away, but it from there it kind of just gets weirder and weirder and weirder. And there's there's three issues of of generous bosom, mm-hmm. and every single one of them at the end it kind of flips all the expectations that you've had. I mean the way it's the way it, like to me it's one of you know it's, it is a very arty comic. It has lots sure. of really interesting, almost avant-garde aspects to it. The way that the risographs used is really interesting. Like there's lots of overlays and kind of little artistic devices that are supposed to be like a metaphor for the function of memory and things like that. But mm-hmm. the the dialogue is so good and so on point and the storytelling is is some is brilliant. And just the plot, the way it draws you in, and the way at the end of each episode it just come, it just throws you a curveball, so that you're like, oh, right, I don't know what's going on anymore. And the first one came out in like 2014. I think we waited two years for the second one. Right. That came out, and then then we get this. We, there's something really weird going on. It's about hypnotism, and I still don't know quite what to make of it. <laughs> that gets the end of that one and it flips it again entirely and then another two years and there's another so number four is supposed to be coming out i don't know in a year or two i spoke to tom who's one of the guys that runs breakdown press who who published this i'm like when's generous bosom number four coming out he's like well when it's ready but there might be a number five and it's just it's getting to be insane it's like i really need to know what happens but I mean, the brilliance of the storytelling is that you think you know what's going on or you, you, you make a judgment about a character and then Connor Stettschulter talks you out of it and you you um, you kind of go, OK, I don't know what's going on, or you change your mind. And the amount of times you change your mind about what you think is happening is, I mean, that's brilliant storytelling. Anyone who wants to, who doesn't want to invest in the madness that is trying to... <laughs> <laughs> you know, be into generous bosom, you know, as a series because it is it is punishing. Because I don't know if I don't know if it will ever get finished. Um, <laughs> but he he wrote a book for Fantagraphics called The Amateurs, which is much shorter and is all equally brilliant. Um, so check that out. It's about a, it's about a couple of um, butchers that forget how to be butchers, and they try and. Um, kill some animals and completely fail and end up getting their teeth knocked out and getting injured it's like really (laughs) slapstick um but no it's brilliant and you know the reason i pick it for 
for the scariest, almost disturbing, is because it's so psychologically disturbing. Like, really, there are things in it that are just very unsettling and creepy, and you don't know what is being remembered, what's being... Memories have been put there by this kind of hypnotism or suspected hypnotism kind of um, uh, subplot. It's it's one of those. It's one of those books where you read it and you just think, "I'm never, I'm never going to get to that level of brilliance as a as a comic artist." You know, it's just mind blowing. You you feel a bit depressed, but at the same time, very excited about comics and what they can do. You know, as a form, it's brilliant, brilliant stuff. And, yeah, you know, any, yeah, anyone yeah. who doesn't know about Breakdown Press, you need to you need to find out about them because they right. they publish some really excellent comics and also some really interesting manga. They do like reissues of like really far out manga published in the sixties, seventies, eighties. And um, you know, I thought I knew what manga was. I wasn't particularly interested in it, but now mm. <laughs> I, I I realize that actually there's a whole world of manga out there that I had no idea about and it's not just you know Sailor Moon or or whatever it's um yeah it's there's some really awesome books out there so yeah check out Breakdown Press absolutely as well yeah definitely just looking at their titles page and yeah it's uh it's pretty pretty far out there um which which is awesome it really is but again they don't I mean there's some books I like more than others but they don't publish very much that isn't well told Good storytelling, accessible. Yeah. I mean, some of it, some of it's more far out than others. But sure. I, I, in general, you know, I don't think they put a foot wrong with the titles they put out. So, yeah, check them out. Nice, nice. Um, and uh, yeah, so um, going back to generous bosom um, mm. before before we move on. Um, yeah, it's on the on the website. It says it contains one of the most compelling sex scenes ever in, ever seen in comics. Yes, um, it does. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just looking at uh, one of the example pages given, um, it's, it's obviously very fairly explicit um, mm. and things. But uh, yeah, um, that's that's uh, got to pique your interest, if anything. It's, it's sort of it is compelling, but it's also uncomfortable embarrassing yeah. it makes you feel embarrassed because it's so yeah. realistic like, <laughs> almost like an episode of louis theroux or something <laughs> well yeah there there is that kind of you know sort of when louis kind of probes that bizarre <clears throat> kind of eccentric american i guess it's set in the midway i don't know it's yeah you have to read yeah, it because he's, he's a baltimore based cartoonist apparently oh okay so, yeah yeah he is american so it would be yeah that area Mm. Interesting, um, but yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, go, go check it out if uh, if you want to see the most compelling sex scene in comics. <laughs> yes. Go check out Generous Bosom. Claim to fame. You know your audience; they're just like, go check out the sex. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see the sex scene. <laughs> awesome. Um, so uh, we get on to one of my. Uh, uh, one of my favourite uh, questions, and that is, what is your favourite cover? Okay, again, this was difficult. Right, yeah, um, of course. But I've kind of, I've picked Lois Lane, number 54. Now, a lot, of, not many people know this about me, but I do have a small connect collection of Silver Age like mainstream superhero comics. Nice. Um, there used to be a shop near where I lived called uh, the comic shack. I, 
it's probably not there anymore. It was in Leytonstone. And the, right. the guy, it was like a comic shop and wedding photographer. <laughs> it was like okay. double. One of those. <laughs> double business. And um, yeah, I, I sort of picked up really rough, beaten up sort of Silver Age comics in there. And what I love about what about I love about this period is it's kind of you know it's like the mid sixties night sixty five and presumably there's a lot of you know at the newsstand there's there'll be there would have been dozens of comics and they're all kind of competing for the attention of little kids who have a few dimes or a couple of you know ten cents or, or whatever yeah. um, so they kind of like they try and really grab your interest by kind of telling the story on the first page in one one panel. So in this example, it's Lois Lane featuring the monster that loved Lois Lane. <laughs> and it has this really nice composition, this kind of diagonal composition where it's sort yeah. of in the top left-hand corner, there's the edge of Superman's cape. And in the bottom right-hand corner, there's Lois Lane's high-heeled shoes pointing off the off the page and yeah. it's a kind of yeah diagonal composition with this like weird pink monster who's he's picked up a lamp post and he's fashioned it into a ring in order to propose to to lois lane and superman's going don't panic i'll save you from that dimensional monster and lois <laughs> lane's going no superman herco is in love with me he used his great strength to bend the lamppost into an engagement ring for me. Isn't he cute? And it's sort of like, I love that. I've got, I've got other ones. Like I've got one where Batman's marrying Lois Lane on the front cover. It's just like oh, right. they kind of um, they they put, they they put something on the cover that's like the complete opposite to the state of affairs that you'd expect to find, you know, within the pages of Lois Lane, you're like, oh my God, I can't believe it. Lois Lane's <laughs> going to marry, marry a, a monster, monster. <laughs> not Superman. <laughs> so, you know, you've got to grab it and find yeah. out what's going on. At the top it says Superman's girlfriend <laughs> Yeah, as well. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like, I, I really like Lois Lane as a character and, and you know, um, it is quite a sexist comic, really. Yeah, because sure. all 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 Lois Lane wants to do is marry Superman. Of course. <laughs> but what I like about it is how pathetic Superman is in these comics. Like his superpowers yeah. are of no use when he's trying to explain to Lois Lane that he's basically a commitment phobe and he doesn't mm. want to marry her. And um, you know, like he's he's always looking embarrassed and sheepish. And it's a real kind of it really brings Superman down to earth with a bump. Because he's just like trying to kind of, um, he's just got, he's a commitment phobe. He doesn't want to marry Lois Lane. Um, and yeah, I don't, I don't know. There's something in it that's really, and I love these old comics as well because they've got the, the funny little adverts in it for, BB guns and things like that. And yeah. I don't know. They're kind of, they're beautiful the way they're printed as well and the colours they use and, and. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I just love this thing where you don't really see it in any comics anymore, where the story starts on the front cover or right. the front yeah. cover's there to grab your attention and tell you that inside something mad's going to happen. I mean, it's a, lot, it's a lot like tabloid newspapers, you know, where you have the screaming headline. Yeah, you know, when, exactly. Um, and yeah, I'd love to do a graphic novel <laughs> that did that. I don't know how you'd... 
you know, to do that in one of my comics, maybe I don't know how you do that, but I just love that kind of starting the story off on the on the on the cover so that no space is lost and you you under no illusions about what's going to be inside, you know. Exactly, and what what a starting scene as well. Yeah, like, you know, exactly. It's yeah. this monster, and you know, Lois <laughs> yeah. is like, no, no, don't worry about it. <laughs> <Yeah. It's laughs> like, what is going on? It's yeah, exactly. and, and she's saying he's cute, and yeah. like, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I never thought that you know an eight-year-old boy would go, what? Uh, no, it's yeah. like this weird pink monster that's got tentacle arms. <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. <laughs> Kind of weird, but no, that's a, that's a, that's a fantastic choice and, and really interesting. And obviously, they've, they've chosen a yellow back background to kind of um, uh, stand out on the uh, on the news rack. I just yeah, thought, exactly. You know, and the pink monster, of, of course, yeah. as well. Um, that really kind of stands out. <laughs> everything on it is just there to grab your attention. And, and oh, to, 100%. You know, it's like the question is, you know, can you leave that newsstand without knowing whether or not. Lois yeah. Lane goes through with it and marries exactly. the pink monster. <laughs> exactly. 12 cents to find out. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's a bargain. <laughs> exactly. That's awesome. Brilliant. Um, and so uh, we'll, we'll move on to, to one of the most interesting uh, questions, and that is, what is the most meaningful comic to um, So I have picked uh, Mr. Crabtree Goes Fishing by, um, by Bernard Venables, who I didn't even know wrote it because his, his name isn't very prominent um, on the inside. He's, he's got, like, Venables stuck on the the, the edge of a a, um, a panel. But um, when I was a kid, I we had this stinking, horrible canal that was full of right. gudgeon and nothing else, you know. <laughs> but, um, it's, they've actually cleaned it up. It's quite nice now. But um, And I used to go fishing in there and only catch loads of gudgeon. But I, th- I had this book and I thought that if I read it enough times, then I would be doing like Mr. Crabtree and pulling yeah. out, you know, 20 pound salmon in no time. So I, I just <laughs> read this thing to bits, um, you know, like literally till it fell apart. Um, and I, I just know every single um, panel of it, you know. Uh, I mean, it's very, it's a, you know, it's very 1950s and it's very of its time. And again, probably a bit sexist because they're always saying whenever they catch a nice fish, they go, well, take that back to uh, Mrs. Crabtree, who you never see. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. never yeah. She can to. cook up a fish pie. Or <laughs> exactly. Like that, you know? <laughs> and Mr. Crabtree, is, he never has his pipe out of his mouth. He kind of like, no matter what he's doing, whether he's tackling, you know, tackling up or catching a big fish or whatever he's always got that <laughs> that pipe stuck in his mouth of course and um you know like um is it peter the kid's called peter and he's so right. he's so into it you know he just and he's in short trousers the whole time as well <laughs> and um and also there's some really beautiful illustrations in between the comics um of fish underwater and just the the line work of this uh, Bernard Venables is really earthy, and it's the way that he he sort of um, shows the fish underwater is very dramatic, and it really kind of captures the mysterious element that fish live in and stuff. And yeah, I just love it. Um, and me and Steve Tillotson, who I mentioned before, we made a comic 
uh, called Manly Boys, which was published years and years ago when Avery Hill were just starting up. It was reprinted by them, actually. Um, and one of the strips in there, it was like um, a kind of a joke, you know, boys annual from the 50s. Right. And one of the strips in there I did was, it was called the Intercity Firm Go Fishing. And it was basically kind of... Um, artwork very much like Mr. Crabtree, only in, everything they said was a bit like a kind of football hooligan, rather than like a, right. rather than like Mr. Crabtree. So when, when he cast his, whenever he caught a fish, he's like, have some of that, you know? <laughs> and, uh, I, I, yeah, sort of, it was my little kind of homage to one of my favourite, um, you know, comics of, of growing up. Yeah, that was, nice, and then obviously that's kind of really where your career in comics started. <laughs> kind of, yeah. I don't know. I just, it's just because I, as well, I just know every, I know every panel. It's like they're all kind of etched into my memory, nice. you know, under the uh, under the covers with a torch, just thinking I'm going to go fishing at the canal tomorrow. This time I'm going to catch a a chub, and that, you know, you just have a load more gudgeon. <laughs> nice man. Yeah, well, I think yeah. we've all got something like that where yeah. we're so familiar with it that it's mm. comforting just to go over it mm. again and again and again. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's nice to have something like that. Yeah. And it's funny, you know, you don't know what, you, you know, as an adult, you see the things like, yeah, take this home to Mrs. Crabtree. And you wonder why, maybe this is the reason I smoke a pipe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, <laughs> and I'm massively sexist. <laughs> and I'm massively sexist. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I still wear short trousers. <laughs> yeah, every day, all year <laughs> round. <laughs> that's awesome man that's great um and so we come on to our most difficult question um and that is for you what is the best comic of all time oh okay so um i've picked haven't you forgotten the underrated one though Oh yes, What's the most underrated. Yeah, 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 I, I did, I did. Thank you. Yeah, that's, that's the first time that I've missed out a question. <laughs> that's because I was flipping back and forth between windows. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, before we go on to the most difficult cool. question, uh, what is the most underrated comic of all time? <laughs> so I've picked like one of the rules that I had for doing all this is that is is not to pick people that I know well because if you pick one of your friends for one of these, all mm. the other ones are gonna get are gonna get um. They're not going to be happy. And, you know, I could do this again um, and just pick people that I that I know and it, the list would still be, it would still be valid. Um, but so I've picked an artist that I do know a little bit, but I don't know the, them very well. And they're right. called um, MX Regulus. And right. they kind of make, uh, I would call it like cosmic sci-fi books. Cool. But, they're not very well known and they don't make a lot. You know, every two or three years you get another comic from MX and I always make sure that I grab a copy. Um, they've been, do you know Decadence Comics? Decadence, That's, no. um, you, you check out Decadence Comics. They're like, they make right. this kind of cosmic science fiction stuff that's very kind of, um, you know, artsy and edgy, but it's kind of proper science fiction as well. And, MX has been in there. Um, they have an anthology called called Decadence, and she kind of fits in in well with them. But 
Um, so her books are really. It's a, so this one, the fourth, the fourth person, the one that I've the, the one that I've picked is. is yeah. It looks really cool to start off with, and one of the best things about it, it's got a little hole in the front cover, and you can look through the hole and see these kind of like weird little enzymes things swimming about, and right. that's a that's a feature of MX. Uh, MX's comics is that there's always this aspect that's microscopic so there's always kind of this subplot where you're kind of like finding out what you know like microscopic enzymes or or amoebas are doing and how they're affecting the plot of whatever's happening and that's kind of consistent through all her stuff Um, but so this one's about uh, a girl who lives in a society where you just very straightforwardly go to a place and this big crystal sucks out your life force or life energy mm. and you get some tokens and then you take the tokens and you spend them on amusements which just seem like really trippy <laughs> experiences um, but it really takes a lot out of you and you get really tired and run down but it's a, it's a really uh, sort of well thought out metaphor for you know, you know we we pretty much already live in that society <laughs> you yeah. know it's just a bit different but they're all sure that you know this society that they live in is the best and at one point she meets an old man and he's just like nothing's changed there hasn't been any progress and and she's like don't talk to me old man I don't like your negativity <laughs> and stuff <laughs> like that. Um, and the artwork is, it's always, I have seen a couple of colour pieces before, but on the whole, MX work is, it's just line work um, mm-hmm. all the way through. And somehow that kind of line, this really beautiful, brittle line kind of sustains your visual interest throughout. And, you know, we get to this point where she kind of stops she stops um, exchanging life force for um, tokens on doctor's orders and it makes a trip out even worse <laughs> and she sort of sees all of history and kind of um, yeah I don't, and, and uh, there's a brilliant use of blank pages in it as well it really kind of like you know it's one of those comics that you kind of put it down and just think about it for a, about a minute late after and sort of then sort of get up and do whatever else you're going to do. There's certain comics that you just, when you put them down, it's impossible to move on to anything else because you've got to just digest what you've just read <laughs> and have a bit of a think about it. Um, but you know, I I really I really love Emmett's regular stuff, and I wish she'd do more really. But you know, I think we all do comics at our own pace, and we it's yeah. all um, you know we all try and get it to do what we want we want it to do and if if it, if i only get one comic every two or three years that was fine as long as as long as she keeps working <laughs> definitely um and uh where where, where is that available oh, i don't know she um her it. twitter oh so the the insta is at mx regulus at mx underscore regulus yeah um, and it's got a website on the back here, www.microcosmicorbit, um, or microcosmic, and then like a hyphen, orbit.com. Yeah. 
Um, but I'm sure if you Google MX Regulus, you'll find you'll find the stuff. I don't know if she's got a web shop or what, but yeah, she's got a big cartel. Oh, okay, that's okay. good. So that so they're yeah they're out there and you can get them. But it's it's excellent stuff, and you know I would I would urge anyone to check check that out, particularly if you, if you're into kind of trippy sci-fi. Definitely, very interesting, cool, and I like the. Uh... The, the title of her big cartel is, mm. is Microcosmic Hypermarket. Oh, wow. Okay. It, is, it is what it is on the homepage there. So that's, that's very cool. Nice. Mm. like it. Cool. Um, well, um, yeah, with, with my mistake in mind, we can <laughs> actually move on to the, on to the next question, um, which is, uh, for you, what is the best comic of all time? Well, I've picked. I mean, I don't know what the best comic of all time. And you know, again, if you'd ask, if you asked me in two months, I'd say something something different. Absolutely. But I've picked um, "Gassed" by Carol Swain, right? Which is, um, it's something I've seen about, but I, <laughs> I only only recently picked up. And it's um, it's a really quiet, really understated, but really beautifully put together book. That once you start read it it's really you can't forget about it you just and you have to read it I've, i must have read it 10 times right and i still i still and i've only had it about six months um it's about it's set in wales right and it's about a young girl who she just likes um observing nature and writing it down in a nature book you know what the, all the things she's observed and um i think her parents have moved from London, so she's kind of in this tiny little farm, and there aren't any other kids her age around. Um, but she kind of comes to hear about this neighbour of hers that killed themselves. They, it seems like they were a transvestite, and they didn't really fit in with the community, and they were considered an eccentric, and um, they they shot themselves and she just wants to find out as much as she can about this person and write it in her nature because if this person was an animal or some um you know strange bird or something um and but and she's helped in doing this by all the animals like dogs and sheep who can talk but it's not like they can talk in a good way or a cute way like cartoon animals can talk. Right. There's something about the way they talk and the way it's drawn that's just uncanny, like, you know, <laughs> like um, scary, you know, the way that they talk. But they're all very friendly. Um, and it's just, it's very quiet. There's pages and pages where there's no dialogue but it's really compelling and really beautifully paced. It's all done in charcoal. Yeah. And the artwork is, is, you know, really staggering. And it's all like, it's all nine panels. So three, three rows of three panels. There's one little bit where Carol Swain breaks that structure and it's two panels, then three, then three, but you hardly notice it. Yeah. Um, but other than that, the whole book is just this nine panel pages and some pages I don't, and, and they're very, very close together. The, the panel borders are tiny mm. and there's some pages that 
where there's a lot of sky and it seems really sparse and there's other pages where everything seems really crowded together and it's almost hard to kind of it's quite confusing as if it would be you know if you were in a crowd and the way there's no like clever clever kind of composition compositional things about it but the way she's balanced you know every page looks nice and is composed really well and every panel help leads on to the next one and there's some really interesting choices of kind of point of view of where the viewer is you know sometimes we're up in the sky and then the next minute we're like quite low down and the next minute we're you know on a mountain top looking down and then hmm. next minute's a close-up um so it's quite it's almost disorientating but in a really gentle way and you also you really get a feeling of this kind of really quiet community where it's completely silent and nothing's happening and the kind of this this girl's not bored because she's sort of too clever and uh, interesting things to be bored but she's she's not exactly stimulated either so she has to kind of anything that comes anything that sort of comes to her attention she has to investigate and that's why she's like trying to be a detective and find out you know, there's a lot she doesn't understand about this man's life and why he took his own life. And adults are very cagey about it. The animals are more helpful, but she mm. she wants to um, she wants to sort of understand. And it's kind of it's a kind of coming of age one as well. I don't know. It's just really it's such a great book, and it's one that you know I think it when it came out, it just there wasn't a lot of there was a few good reviews, but it kind of. It's such such a quiet book, it could easily be forgotten, just sort of sat on the shelves when other books come out and there's loads of hype and that sort of thing. You think I must have that. This one sort of came out very quietly, sort of three or four years ago. And you don't people don't talk about it enough and but I think it's great, really good. That's awesome, and that's a bit, a bit of a shame that it went under the radar a little bit. Yeah. Um but uh look at looking at the at the artwork and as you were saying kind of the the composition of it mm. um i mean yeah like the 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 use of shadow is incredible yeah it? absolutely um but i think you know the people that that know about it really love it and i think that yeah. it will be that will, i think it'd be a, a cult classic or something i hope it's still remembered but yeah i just think it's great definitely i'm definitely gonna look after my copy anyway yeah too right and it's pretty hefty as well at about 176 pages it's a big book and it's and it's a large book as well it's almost a four isn't it yeah and it doesn't take that long to read but you you as soon as you finish it you just want to start again and just be in there like I, i i like um i like reading graphic novels like on a Sunday afternoon when I haven't got much else to do and you know like I, I often like buy things and keep them for that perfect moment when I'm not hassled and I'm not too tired or hung over or anything yeah. and um, you know this is one of those books where like you kind of you've got to sort of almost create a, an occasion to read it you know it deserves <laughs> that kind of that level of reverence Nice. Excellent. Um, and so moving on to our very last question, um, and that is, if you could take only one comic into the apocalypse with you, which would it be? So I cheated on this one, and I decided yeah. to choose a comic, <laughs> and I use the term comic loosely, that isn't on the list. 
And that comic is, it's called The Story of the Vivian Girls in what is known as the Realms of the Unreal of the Glandeco-Angelenian War Storm caused by the Child Slave Rebellion, or The Realms of the Unreal for short. And <laughs> yeah. this is by a, a guy called Henry Darger, or it could be Darger. No one really knows how to pronounce his name. Yeah. And this guy was a janitor in um, New York. He died in the early 70s. Right. And um, he didn't really have any friends. No one knew him. He had some neighbours. And when he, I think he got taken into a hospice and then died quite soon after. But when his house was sort of opened up, they found this huge graphic novel that contained maybe 15,000 written pages and I think a couple of thousand, maybe more actually, uh, images, um, some of which are huge paintings, others are just kind of scraps of of watercolours and things like that and everything in between. And um, it tells the story of these Vivian girls who are kind of, they're young girls, probably about eight or nine, and they're fighting a war against fully grown armed men who look like they're kind of um, sort of Civil War type era. Right. Um, and this guy, Henry Darger, used to, he, you know, he would go to his janitor job and then just go home and just stay up all night and make this, make this book. And if, if he was happy, then the Vivian girls would, would have a period of, happiness in this narrative and they'd be in beautiful gardens with flowers and you know they'd have butterfly wings and things like that and there'd be a narrative that was very um peaceful and then other times when he was depressed or he wasn't having such a good time they'd have their arms and legs blown off in these hideous terrible wars that they were having against these against these kind of civil war type army and um i've (sighs) And the the artwork, I mean, you've got to Google it to see, but the artwork is is incredible. It's yeah. kind of watercolor, kind of painted. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of comics in there, stuff that he's kind of copied from comics. There's stuff that he's collaged and stuck down. There's bits of greeting cards. There's all sorts of of different sort of stuff that he's done, and it's. The artwork is beautiful. It's also completely bizarre. Like all mm. the Vivian girls, they spend most of their time naked, and they all have penises. And right. sort of, there's a lot of debate within people that know about Henry Darger as to why the little girls have penises. But the the most compelling one, I, I think, could be the the answer is that he just didn't know that little girls don't have penises. Right, <laughs> he, okay. he was He was that isolated and that kind oh, of unusual God. and strange. Yeah. And he did, he just lived in this fantasy world. Um, so, that, I mean, I would love to see it all collected together and sort of edited down to, like, a narrative. I mean, obviously you couldn't do it all, but I'd love to for them to sort of publish some volumes that kind of attempted to tell this, to tell this story. But he's very... Sort of, he's a kind of a cult figure, an outsider artist, and not a lot of people really know about him. I'd love to, for him to have a big retrospective at the table or something. Yeah. Um, but uh, the, so the reason I'd want to save this one or take it into the apocalypse uh, or to, for Google to scan it all in and kind of you know 
to be able to take it with me. It's just the the fact that this stuff survived already is remarkable because it would have all got thrown away if it wasn't for the fact that one of his neighbours, who was the first person in, happened to have gone to art school and knew a bit, you know, recognised that this was something worth preserving. But also it's kind of like, not only is it a narrative, but it's a man's whole life, you know, it's kind of like when he was, it's his life's work and, you know, it kind of reflects what was happening to him at, at any given time as well as being a story. So I would I would want to save that. Definitely. I mean, that is, I've never, I hadn't heard of this and and didn't know about this guy. Um, and, and looking at this now, just looking at the pages and things, I mean, that's, it's, really interesting artwork and then yeah. um, I just came across an image of all the books and there's like a whole yeah. pile of them and they're kind of like really worn down books mm. um, and yeah the total page count is like 15,145 pages wow. or something <laughs> wow. it's like, oh my god and it kind of, it's inspirational as well because you know he he was doing it just for himself. He didn't yeah, expect anyone 100%. to ever know. And, you know, he worked so hard on it. And, you know, I'm, I'm working on a book now, and it's probably about 180 pages in the end. And I'm going, oh, God, 180 pages. And I think, well, what about Henry Dodge? Yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. 15,000-page book. <laughs> awesome. And apparently I just, just saw that there's a there's actually a documentary. I don't know if you've seen There that. is, yeah, I have. And it's What's got these like? kind of... It's great. It's got these kind of funny animations that they've made out of his art that okay. I'm, not, I'm not sure about. But it's yeah. a good way of telling the story. Um, yeah. Is it called The Realms of the Unreal? Yeah, in in The yeah. Realms of the Unreal, yeah. Yes, it's worth watching if you can track down. Um, I don't know if it's on YouTube or anything, but I have seen that, yeah. Yeah, well, oh, that's that. really interesting. I'm going to have to check that out for sure. Mm. Um, that's really, really interesting. Fascinating. Well, thank you for mm. sharing that with us. That was, no problem. That was absolutely fantastic. Um, but we've got, we've got, oh, no problem. Um, and there, there is one more question that I'd like to ask oh, yeah. you, and that is uh, with your apocalypse uh, situation in mind, yes. that being yes. the. Uh, the robot uprising that yeah. uh, didn't happen. Uh, what weapon, tool, or useful item would you like to take into the apocalypse? Well, I thought, you know, people always, it's kind of a, you know, pub conversation. What would you do in a zombie apocalypse? And people always say, um, oh, I'd have a crossbow or I'd have a chainsaw or whatever. But to me, that's all very short sighted. I would definitely take my beer brewing equipment nice um i used to brew a lot of beer i haven't done it for a while because i've moved somewhere where it's a bit small and right. you know there's not a lot of room but I, when i had more room i used to brew a lot of beer and my beer's very good it's a bit it, it used to give you terrible hangovers and it was a bit when you drunk it you're like mm, this i feel very unusual <laughs> but um <laughs> it was good stuff and i figure that if i was the only one that knew how to brew beer everyone else would just protect me you know oh, i yeah. wouldn't need a crossbow or a chainsaw everyone would be like quick save the beer guy <laughs> <laughs> form a protective wall around the beer guy Fantastic. Um, plus i'd have beer so it wouldn't be so bad 
absolutely not. That's a, that's a win-win, and that's a that's a very <laughs> smart approach. Like you well, know, just yeah. make yourself <laughs> indispensable, and like absolutely. yeah, you'll be protected. <laughs> I've given it a lot of thought. <laughs> very smart, very yeah. smart. Uh, well, Gareth Brooks, thank you so yeah. much for sharing your comics for the apocalypse today. It's been well, a real pleasure. Yeah, it's been great. It's given me a good excuse to look through all my old comics. So you can't ask for anything more than that. That's great, mate. Um, And for the listeners, one more time, where can they find you? So my website is gbrooks.com, and it's Brooks with an E-S. And then Instagram, uh, just Gareth Brook. I'm on Twitter as well, but I can't remember what my Twitter Twitter handle is. (laughs) I think it's Brooks Gareth. Excellent, and uh, they, all of those links are in the show notes anyway, so oh, so great. people can can click through right there uh, just to just to make things easy. Um, and then, uh, do you, do you have any events coming up or, or anything? Like um, I'm doing um, the I'm doing the the Catford Comic and Zine Fair. Okay. And the day before that, there's the DIY Art Market. So the DIY Art Market is in Shoreditch at the Rich Mix and Catford. Comic and Zine Fair is at the Blythe Tavern in Catford, and that's it's a really good one, the Catford one. Anyone, if you live anywhere near that, you know, nearby or in London, come down to that. It's a really nice kind of end of year um, little convention. I, you know, I suppose it's like one room in a pub, and everyone, everyone has a good drink, and the, it's the, kind of the last time you see a lot of people before Christmas. So it's a really nice mm. end to the year. So come down to that if you can. And what date was that? Sorry. Um, so that's uh, oh god, eighth. Is it the eighth? I think it's the eighth of December. Right. Yeah. So yeah. it's that weekend. On the Sunday. First, there's the DIY. Yeah. First, there's the yeah. DIY art market on Saturday. Then, Catford Comic and Zine Fair on the Sunday. Nice, fantastic. Well, folks, go check that out. Um, yeah. and, and again, Gareth, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure. No problem at all. Thank you very much. Great. Hopefully see you soon. Yeah, see you later. See you, mate. Bye. Thanks again to Gareth for being on Comics for the Apocalypse. It was an absolute pleasure. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review for us on iTunes or whichever podcast service you use, as not only will it let me know that you liked it, but I believe that it helps make other people aware of the show as well. And if you'd like to check out Gareth's work or follow him on social media, those links are in the show notes, along with all our own links to the various areas of the internet. And finally, as long as the apocalypse doesn't come to pass in the next week, I'll see you next Monday. Bye for now. <laughs>